Hello and welcome to another episode of the GM Cancer Podcast. I'm Steve Bland and this is the podcast that takes you inside cancer services right here in Greater Manchester. Now this is the third of four episodes that we're doing looking at work going on to support the cancer workforce right here in Manchester. And with me to do that, I've got Dave Shackley, who is the director of GM Cancer. Hello, Dave. Hi. Hello there. I've got David Ross, who is a, a consultant urologist and uh, the Cancer Academy Education Director. Hello, Dave. Good morning. David or Dave? Either. Either. And we've got Molly Pipping, who is the program lead. Hi, Molly. Hello. Uh, Dave Shackley. I'll start with you first. I have to give you your surname. Um, just give us a bit, a bit of background uh, to the academy. Um, where was the gap? You know, why did you decide that this was necessary, and what what kind of uh, need was it meeting? People are, are our most important resource in in healthcare, and all the indices are that we're short of people, short of doctors, short of nurses, and and this is a real problem at the moment after the pandemic, and because cancer is getting more common, and there's more people that we can give more treatment to. So what we needed to do was try and work out how we can educate and train and support all the people in healthcare to, to learn the new skills that we need in the 2020s and 2030s for cancer care. So that will be people doing new roles. It will be people doing the same role, but with enhanced responsibilities. So it's about teaching technical skills to do scopes, to do biopsies, give them more knowledge. And one of the, one of the problems that we've also had, and it's the same in, in, in all cities and, and areas across England um, and the UK is that we've got lots of different hospital groups and lots of little people with interests and some of them might have good educational programs for cancer and some might not. So what we're trying to do here is give a greater Manchester-wide approach, a standardised way of educating and supporting our professionals in cancer so that everyone has a high standard of knowledge, technical skills and we're able to offer the same standard of care to all the patients. So it's about bringing that umbrella approach um, and recognising that we need to do more for our staff um, going forwards. And I guess recruitment as well is a big part of making, in making the NHS, making um, these kind of jobs attractive to people looking in from the outside as well. Well, that's right. So the more that we people are enjoying the jobs and developing in the jobs and staying in the jobs, being retained and doing jobs that are fulfilling and being public about that, that will help help recruit people. So there's a number of new new roles. So previously we had doctors, nurses, and we had uh, all the professionals. But now we've got new roles like pathway navigators. You don't need medical or nursing training to do these roles, but you're really pivotal in patient care. Can really change things and speed up the pathway people with cancer so these roles that people can drop into now in the NHS um, and do something really important that that they can get into quite quickly so this kind of academy approach can help support people bring them up to speed to do those kind of roles. So Molly just uh, thinking kind of practically I have no idea how this how this works if I was someone that wanted to change role do some training whatever how would it actually work how does the academy work? So the academy is the independent digital hub across Greater Manchester so we have a website which is lovely go and visit it um, and you can look at all of the training that's on offer across Greater Manchester so we're also not precious about what we commission as an academy we're working with other educational entities and establishments across Greater Manchester to really be that single point of access to make sure that people can really tap into learning that they need to progress with their career. Uh, let's bring you in now, David. Obviously, patients are a, a massive part of this. How does, I mean, it seems like an obvious question, but can you just outline how this is going to 
benefit patients. So going back a little bit to what, what Dave talked about is that what, when this really came to pass was our lived experience of what was going on in our place of work. So we're both urologists, so we deal with, with waterworks. And we saw that our medical workforce didn't have the numbers or the extent to, to deliver what we would want for our patients. There was this huge mismatch between demand uh, because of the population, but also because what we offer and how treatments are changing for cancers and for, for, the, gener- for the generality. And we needed to ensure that we were able to deliver that care and of course that came to those that weren't didn't have medical degrees to the non-medical workforce and the problem with the non-medical workforce and what we've asked them to do is developed in a very sort of ad hoc fashion depending on the needs of the service or on the local uh, the local enthusiasm of the trainers, as, as Dave's alluded to. So what we actually wanted was to identify this lack of uh, lack of structured and standardised training opportunities, but also training opportunities that were flexible enough to allow the individuals to take on the advanced roles, but roles which could align with what their patients in their unit or their locality needed um, needed from them. So. What we, what we want to be able to offer our patients is a workforce that's flexible, i.e. it's able to uh, respond to the changes in needs, but also that they're fit for purpose at any given time. So if we recognise there's a new technique in, in biopsy or there's a, a rise in the demand on a certain part of the service, how is it that we're going to train up our workforce to safely and reliably deliver each part of that care to the patients as they need them? So there's a bit about structure, but there's also a bit about flexibility to flex into the needs of the population. How has this changed over the years? You know, you guys, <clears throat> I won't give away, you know, ages, but you've been around in the NHS for a little while now. How has the kind of training of, of medical and, non, and non-medical uh, staff um, changed over 10, 20 years? So I suppose it's really, really interesting and excites me because Dave and I are both from medical backgrounds and the way we went through training was hugely structured. You, there's curricula, you, you apply to training programs and you, you come out the other end. So it's always been really, really structured for us. And what's also been really structured for medics has been the culture of continuous development and lifelong learning. What we've seen in, I've been in the NHS 25 years, which is slightly slightly concerning, um, but what we saw was in some areas, there was a, a real acceleration of what we asked of our nursing staff and our non-medical workforce so that they would take on more roles. But the, the training they were given was just given by their supervising consultants or by their local departments. As the last 20, 25 years have progressed, we've asked more and more of individuals. So there's been, there's been more educational content put out there, and if you and we've we've done a lot of work of just sort of seeing well what's out there across the UK nationally, internationally, but it's so disorganised. It there's no uh, single point of access to it. So for an individual healthcare professional coming along saying, well, you know, how am I going to learn about dealing with catheter problems, for example, something that's uh, close to my heart, and. Um, that they, they really don't know where to start, what's quality assured, high quality education. So while there is an increased amount of education out there, it tends to be, uh, the structure of it tends to be poor, unless you go down the pathway of doing a formal higher education qualification. But that's expensive. It's hugely time consuming. So you know it's two, three years to do a master's program. And much of the output from it is actually quite generic. So you'll learn maybe how to examine patients, uh, how to take a good history, 
and the generality of perhaps prescribing, but does that actually align to what we're asking the individual to do in their day-to-day? And very often not. So there's still this gap about, well, how do I move from having a generic qualification to really being able to deliver what my patients need to make me really confident in what I'm doing, to give me the satisfaction that I'm being the best possible uh, clinician uh, that I can be for my patients. So we're starting to see that shift towards volume, that shift uh, shift towards some degree of structure, but still there is a lack of frameworks aligned to educational content and a lack of frameworks which provide the flexibility that when you ask the workforce, it's what they want. And perhaps we could talk about speaking to those that need the, the education a little while. Just if I can come in, just a quick one. So I finished university medical school 1992 and back then there was doctors there was nurses and there was some therapists um, um, but the doctors did the vast bulk of the treatment the nurses did the vast bulk of the caring and there was some therapists they had very defined roles the doctors had very structured training and the nurses had good training and the therapists but then once they've got their job there wasn't much to take them on to the next level what i've seen over the last 25, 30 years is a blurring of those roles and approach where training and developing people has been more blurred. So now the therapists and nurses are doing roles that doctors used to do. Doctors are doing slightly different roles as well and everyone's mixing in. So that's one of the big things I've seen and I think that's going to carry on. So we're going to have a blurring of roles and therefore uh, perhaps um, the academy is one idea that provides structure to all um, because the other big thing on the block is digitization of healthcare and, and and we need to all understand how that can be best used for patients as well and i guess as well is there a benefit for <clears throat> you know sort of management if you're looking down and you're seeing that gaps need to be plugged um, in different departments if you've got people that are really versatile have learned loads of different skills trained in lots of different areas does it help you guys to actually be able to fill a gap or fill a hole somewhere that maybe 10, 20 years ago might have been quite hard to fill? Yeah, I think so, because the whole attitude has become more of creativity. How can we fill this role? It's not, do we need a new doctor to do this role? Do we need a new nurse to do this role? Now we can we can think more creative of it. Is there a digital solution? Is, is someone who's currently in post, can they do things slightly differently and take on this role? So is this more creativity uh, about what, how that gap could be filled, rather than maybe 10, 20 years ago, it was we need a new person to do that. Yeah, they're not, they're not, not so defined by titles now. So if you look at what people actually do, there's a huge um, crossing of their activities. Just because somebody might be an interest in breast cancer and their job title was breast cancer, and you only do things related to breast cancer, what we've found is actually we just do stuff that we thought was just urological, but then we find that, that, that people in the other pathways are interested in learning and actually it does form, form part of their role. So there is this ability to see what skill sets people have or the potential for them to develop those skill sets, which then can move across the different pathways and to move across the different roles. And I think in terms of that, on the flip side, it's not just for managers to think about how they can help their staff to progress but it's also how we can empower staff to take control of their own career pathway whether they work in cancer services or they don't and cancer is a part of their role so 
you know, David's talked about frameworks and there's a new framework that's just come out of Health Education England called Ascend and it's multi-professional. It's for allied health professionals and nurses to really look at what that lifelong career within cancer could look like and saying, you know, you can get on the career travelator and see where those gaps are. And again, part of our academy model is we want to act as that enabler. So we have an e-portfolio element where people can log on, see their framework against their specific tumour site that they're working in see where the gaps are in their knowledge and then go away and plug them. So again, it's helping with that, hopefully the retention piece, but also just levelling people up and helping them see what skills they need to improve patient care. Yeah, so just on a practical level, um, part of this, the, the, the Cancer Academy Digital Hub, there's like a, a function that's going to help support appraisal. So that's a new thing, sorry, no, not that new, but newish, that's coming over the last 10 to 20 years. Everyone in the NHS will have a structured appraisal every year. And that's an opportunity to just say, right, how are you doing in your career? How do you want to develop it? So what the, the Academy will do is it will provide some pointers for that conversation to say, here's what's out there to help you develop. Which bits would you want to take on and develop more? This kind of concept of lifelong learning. So we're providing that structure that isn't there at the moment to help that appraisal conversation. The facilitator, which Molly alludes to, to help with this, is not just putting the content there and, and driving the conversation, but putting in a tool. So we're, we're, we're working to produce a portfolio that will really underpin someone's appraisal process so that it's a much more considered appraisal and also you can link straight out into educational content. So you find your gaps, you set your, your planning, your, edu your learning planning for the year ahead, you review what's gone before, and you can almost go straight out into, well, this is the content that I might reasonably access over the coming year to develop me. So I think Molly's right that it's, it's, it's facilitating that culture change, that lifelong learning change, as much as just saying, well, we need to do it, we need to encourage appraisals. Well, putting in the how-to bit. When you, uh, Molly, when you, you know, started looking at this as a program, and I think the chaps then talked about uh, getting feedback from the people that wanted to do the learning. What was, what were the big things they were telling you in terms of what they wanted from a program like this? So one of the big things is that it needs to be free at the point of access. There's a lot of struggle that's out there around people being able to tap into funding to access this learning. So yeah, absolutely free. Reducing that inequity around access to education is so important. The next one is that although it's important to have all of these blended learning offers because different things make different people tick, we do have a really pressured workforce who people can't find time to get off their ward rounds or whatever else they're doing. So it's really important that we do have digital offers so that people can tap into it in their own time if they want to. Um, but I think that's also part of this culture shift that we're talking about in terms of lifelong learning and something that as an academy we really need to do more work on over the next few years. And that's making sure that people have protected time in their job plans to come and do this education because it's all well and good us producing it based on what our workforce needs are. But if they haven't got the time to come and access it, then it's on, never going to do its job. But that's a big point though, isn't it, Dave? Because people don't have a lot of time. So how, how do you actually make this or create this culture shift where people you know, don't feel like they have to do this at 10 o'clock at night because they've got no time in their working day. How do you kind of change that? Well, that, that's a bit of what might be tacked into in the, into the appraisal and each individual employing organisation in NHS. So there is some rules of engagement where people in their job plans are supposed to have time to do this. But part of having a digital solution is people can 
drop into it and do micro teaching and micro sessions within that during the day. So with it being digital, it's a, it's more flexible for people to look at when they want, as opposed in some in some of the content anyway, as opposed to having to take a day off, having to do it at a certain time because it's a face-to-face -face event like all education really was in the past now there's this blended approach more flexible and i think one of the one of our critical roles will be trying to show the value of this to employers so clearly number one is to make our um, our workforce feel appreciated and valued but actually for them for the employer to understand the needs to put the time and resource into supporting the education we need to show to them well so what you've done all this stuff so what what does that mean to our patients what does that mean to our retention of workforce then i think if you can show an employer the value of providing the time and the resource and the support for education then it becomes a sort of self-fulfilling and self-sustainable model so that, that that i think would be one of my key targets over the next 12 to 18 months what's the value so how do you do that so number one will be making sure we've got relevant, accessible content across the system. And we've done all this, well, I say we. Molly's done a lot of the socialising of this, so getting getting it out there, and that, that's been the huge piece. So now we have people engaging with it. Now we need to get feedback on what, not just oh, how have you engaged with it, but how has that changed what you've done at the workplace? So going back a little bit, at the beginning of this process, it was, you know, it was initially driven by three clinicians, but it's not our learning. And the most important thing I think we did was go out and do a lot of chatting and a lot of listening. And I think the same will be true for this element of it. So once we put the offerings out there, we've engaged people, they're, they're engaging with the content. It's then going back and doing a listening process of, okay, so how did that change uh, X, Y, Z part of your practice? And most importantly, is this or has this changed the way you're looking at how you're developing yourself over the coming year, for example, the appraisal process or your your future professional planning? So it's engaging with the people. And is the comms, is the comms around this you know, almost as important as what the actual programme is delivering because you need people to know about it, know where to access it, know how to access it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, our absolute focus is our workforce across Greater Manchester, but it doesn't stop there. You know, there's so much benefit across on a national basis and yeah like David just said it's all about so socializing that so we do have all of our social media channels set up and running so go and give us a follow and um, like our page um, but it is all about getting out there and I think we do secondary care very well we have a lot of contacts in within that vicinity but there is a lot more work to do as well socializing what is on offer within other care settings especially community and social care and we know that they're starting to build mechanisms within um, those care settings as well um, that we can definitely link up with but I think one of the biggest things around how, you know Steve you asked how are we going to deliver this over the next few years I think it comes back to what Dave mentioned at the beginning and it's these new set of education principles that we've agreed across the system which is our new Greater Manchester Education Collaborative which puts the academy at the central as that independent digital hub, but really working collegiately with our other educational providers across Manchester. So the Christie School of Oncology, Gateway C, and the Manchester Academic Health and Science Centre, as well as, you know, your universities, research, etc. To really make sure that people are aware and we're bringing all of these other care settings together. And it's not just something that's exclusive to cancer care, you know, David mentioned catheter care. It goes, it goes so much further than that. Molly's network is, is the critical thing. So it's not just socialising to 
the individuals wanting the care, but it's trying to work into the bigger system. So Dave, when we talk about the what we're doing in GM, but we're trying to look beyond that. So we have engaged nationally with HEE, we've engaged nationally with various specialty bodies, nursing bodies, to try and, and ensure that whatever we do here becomes something that's either replicated elsewhere or we network into other uh, enthusiasts so that it's not just Greater Manchester that, in fact, that gets the value from this, that happens as a national change. I just wanted to make a quick point bringing together um, uh, what Molly and, and David said about the hub. So one of the, the problems often is the world's really complicated to access the internet. Where do you go? Where do I know where to go and get this information? We've spoke about going on this hub to get some content and, and so on, going on this hub to get some information in your, for help your appraisal. But the other thing is it's signposts to other bits of the system. So there could be some great teaching by Macmillan on something, great teaching set up by um, some pathology group um, in London. Um, and similarly, there could be some great content by the Christie School of Oncology. A here really in informative BBC podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so if, if people can go into a single place and then see all the variety of content, both in Greater Manchester and outside, that would be hugely valuable. And that's what people have told us. Because at the moment, they're just bamboozled by lots of different options. Do you think people are generally more curious than they were 10, 20 years ago? People were maybe, you know, going down one kind of route of training and that was that's where they just thought, that's me. Do you think people are more curious now? I think we're exposed to a, a better, bigger breadth of practice. And because we network more with, with in different areas and we, you know, particularly if you look at the Cancer Alliance, the, the different pathways will we'll speak to each other. And so people say, oh, well, there's an opportunity there or that sounds really interesting. So that can be all, that can be good, but can also be overwhelming. You think, well, you know, what actually is it that I can do over the next 10, 20, 30 years of my career? So by having quality information available to people, I think, again, it helps to inform their life decisions, their career decisions, etc. Um, but it also makes it more challenging for us because we clearly need to be able to deliver content that goes right across the breadth of, of what career opportunities they are because we don't want to, we want to sort of, level things up, I hate using that term, but we really don't, we want to get away of the inequality of education or care, depending on you know, where you live or what type of disease you have. Uh, let's just, <clears throat> let's just cast our mind forward a little bit now. Let's get the crystal ball out and we'll gaze into the future. Obviously a massive job to get this, you know, this project working, you get the comms, get everything behind it working, but what's next? Where does this, uh, where does this go in 10, 15, 20 years? Oh, there's big plans, Steve. <laughs> we're building an empire. <laughs> so I think that, you know, we, we talked about these principles and as a group, we need to do more to make sure that we are making sure that our directory is bolstered with all of the content that's out there. So we do truly become that single point of access. But there's so much work that we need to do in terms of working with our HEIs, so our universities, so much more to really build cancer into that curriculum. We need cancer apprenticeships, and these are all types of things that could come under that cancer academy. So again, come back to that lifelong career in cancer and people to stay within the service as well. Um, we need to do more in care homes. It's, it's a big gap for us. And we did a locality visit recently and I think one of the care homes accounted for 6% of lung cancers and of which 45% were diagnosed at stage three or four. And these are people who are in a care home. So we need to do so much work around that early diagnosis piece. And there's so much going on already, but it's just tapping into another care setting. And we come back to that socializing of what's going on. And then we've heard a lot from our workforce that 
yes, great digital learning is fantastic. Coming and doing that networking face-to-face -face at events is equally brilliant, but it's also about getting those hands-on practical skills that people can then actually go and put into practice that are tangible. So it's around creating this skills lab concept. So scaling, spreading it. So people can come, they can get their skill, they can be signed off against a competency and then actually go and put that into practice. But that all feeds into a much wider span. We've got digital staff passports now that allow mobilization across the system. And, you know, I think that these skills that we teach under the academy needs to be acknowledged across the patch so that, you know, if you do decide that you want to move from a career working in an acute trust to primary care, that the skills that you've got will transfer rather than having to start from scratch. So we need to use our resource so much better. And I think there's a couple of things, I suppose, in terms of how we how we grow and how we develop. I think in the sort of medium term, it will be making sure that each of the cancer pathways really owns and drives their own learning. And that, that to me will be the big bit when I can step away from from actually the day-to-day -day of what they're doing because they know their patients they know their pathways and the second thing longer term is I mean I'd love to see this becoming the the GM healthcare academy because I feel really passionately that the learning and the type of care that our patients get as a consequence of the learning we have for our workforce shouldn't be defined by whether you have a cancer diagnosis or not but equally some of the stuff that Molly alludes to there is that so many of our cancer patients have this breadth of healthcare needs that they need to be able to have those managed in exactly the same way as the elements of the cancer workforce. So I think us really establishing ourselves in the bigger system as this, uh, as a sort of force for educational good would be where I'd love to be, but well, that's too much to ask, I'm not sure. Yeah, so if I can come in as well, the final bit that'd be nice to achieve really well in the next five or 10 years is something for patients as well. So the focus at the moment is on professionals, so the staff who work and deliver that cancer care. but. You know, whilst I said before that it's difficult for the professionals to access content where to go, a single portal would be great. It'd be also be the same for patients because uh, patients are often confused about the variety of information out there. Some of it's conflicting. It's conflicting within Manchester, never mind broader afield. So if we can have a single place to go to for patients who are possibly have cancer or definitely have cancer or are after the cancer treatment but in that phase if they've got one place to go to for information where they can access someone to speak to on a hotline if they needed to and other bits of uh, um, architecture that we could attach to this academy that would be so good and there we could still signpost to other content outside but it's one place you go to we could give the address out to patients from the letters and when we first see them and then that's where they go to for their information that's where i'd like to see us get to as well this is all massive isn't it dave because if you you know boil it right down you want to keep the very best people here you're doing the really important stuff you know that's the way the patients get the best care isn't it the best people stay in you know selfishly working in gm and 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 I guess this is you know things like the blended roles, all this kind of stuff. You know, ultimately you're trying to get a happier workforce, aren't you? People that want to be here. Yeah. So when you're doing innovations like this, I mean, obviously it's a topic of this podcast. It's an exciting for us, and it's exciting for the workforce when they engage with it. So that's the secret sauce, isn't it, to keep people engaged in Greater Manchester, get people to come into cancer because we are essentially competing with other specialties to some extent. I want the best people in cancer care that I can get um, to be able to. Uh, do the best for patients but having innovative exciting new projects is a way of fueling that enthusiasm so that's one of the the key the key steps we do in the alliances driving that so this academy 
is firing that up and driving loads of positive energy. Thank you so much to Dave, to David, and of course to Molly, and to you for listening to this episode of the GM Cancer Podcast. We're back next week with our final episode of the four looking at the cancer workforce here in Greater Manchester. So until then, have a great week.